You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Today we're, um, we're starting a new series uh, entitled Master or Servant. And uh, <clears throat> this basically focuses on the pitfalls of loving money. Now, how many of you could use some money? And <laughs> we all could use some, right? Uh, we all could use a, lot, a little bit more than what, what we have right now. So, but uh, some people, you know, go overboard and they don't just see money as a, as a tool. They see it as a goal, the ultimate goal of their life. And that becomes their God. That becomes, uh, you know, that becomes uh, the most important thing. And they love money so much that they let money and their wealth define their life and their value. I mean, people today, we have people who are multi-billionaires who commit suicide because their, their net worth dropped by, by $100 million or $300 million, you know, so, and they take their life. So basically, they've reduced the value of their life to a dollar amount. You know, even if it's in the billions, it's still, you know, that is still far less than how God values us. Okay, and so that's what we want to do in the next four weeks. We want to talk about, um, you know, the pitfalls of loving money and how we can overcome uh, these pitfalls through obedience to God's word. And our goal is to is to have a biblical understanding of money, and so that it will lead us to a life of greater faith, greater stewardship, and greater generosity. All for the glory and honor of God. Amen. So with that, let's all stand and um, open our Bibles to. The book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Okay, we're going to read from verses 6 through 12. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of, fa- of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to every aspect of life. As a matter of fact, your word is our life's manual. Lord, that without it, we will really never truly live. And uh, Lord, today we ask that you would open our eyes and enable us to hear your spirit, Lord, especially in this topic, what you, are to, what you say about this topic of wealth and, and money and how we treat it. And sometimes we treat it as a, as a master or so. Lord, I pray, God, that as we hear your word in the next few weeks, Lord, in the next four weeks, Lord, that you would liberate us from the love of money. And that we would see money for, for what it truly is. It's a tool 
and it is our servant to bring honor and glory to you. Lord, we just thank you, and we lift up this series to you. We lift up our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. Just to give you an overview of, um, of our series um, here, for the next four weeks, including the, to, today, we're going to be talking about the love of money and the pitfalls of loving money. And so today we're going to talk about greed and contentment. So greed versus contentment. Next week, we're going to look at false hope and true security. A lot of people, you know, put their hope and their security in money, which is which the Bible says is so fleeting, you know. And um, on the third week, we will look at basically heart attitudes, selfishness and generosity. And many times money brings out either your selfishness or your generosity. Okay, and then uh, and last lastly, the last week, we're going to look at um you know, the subject of wealth, both from a temporal and eternal perspective. Which perspective does God want us to have? Okay, so obviously it's the eternal one, but many people are in the temporal. They're focused on the temporal. So that's a snapshot of what we're going to do uh, in the next four weeks. And today we're going to talk about greed versus contentment. Talking about greed, it's this is something very unique. Greed is considered in church history, it's one of the consider one of the seven deadly sins, okay? Greed, and this is something that uh, of of the other sins. This is something that is so deceptive that sometimes we have we possess greed and we are we don't even know it. We're not aware of it, or we are in and we deny it. Many times we deny that we're greedy, okay? But uh, this is a common sin that you know of, of people. I remember in when I was a young believer, I just got saved. I think this was in 1989. So in one of my routine trips here, uh, I studied college in the Philippines, and then during during breaks, either summer break or or spring break, not spring break, summer break or trimester breaks, I would visit my mom here in um, in the U.S. and she lived in New Jersey at the time. So my dad and I uh, would would visit her, and Christmas time she would be the one to visit us in the Philippines. So, I think it was summer. We were in New Jersey, and my family and uh, my relatives all went for a weekend in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And my uncle had a, you know, had had his own place there. He had a condominium there, right by the boardwalk. Okay, and so, and of course, you don't go to Atlantic City to see the sights. You know, people go to Atlantic City there, just like people here go to Las Vegas. And usually, it's what. It's really to gamble, you know, so, and so, but at that time, I had, I was a new believer, you know, I was being disciple, but, you know, there were a lot of things still that, you know, I, I was brand new Christian, so there are a lot of things I was struggling with, and uh, so I'm not going to enter the casinos, you know, you can just leave me here in the boardwalk, or just in, in, in the condominium, I'll just watch TV, or I'll just be there by the beach, you know, all in front of the casino, you know, by the boardwalk, so I'll just be there, you know, so, but, but my brothers went, just join us, you know, I said, no, I don't allow to gamble, that, I know that's not good, so I was being, I was being, um, I knew that that's, that was something God will not, uh, God doesn't want that, so, and my uncle said, no, just, just be there, just eat the, eat the food, and just watch us, you don't really have to gamble, and then one of my, I said, okay, so they convinced me, so I said, okay, I'm not gonna do, I'm just gonna observe, one of my other uncles, Gave me like, uh, I don't know how much he gave me. I think he gave me about $30. Okay, so I said, here, you know, use this. I'm not going to gamble. Slot machine, that's not gambling, you know. 
So, you know, it was this back and forth until, okay, I just, you know, like with my mind, let's get this over with, you know. So I didn't really want to do it. Or they forced me, and they were getting mad at me. I said, like, okay, whatever, let's let's do this. So so it changed the slot. I mean, again, I was a brand-new believer then. So it, so it changed into coins, into the tokens, and then and I started, you know, winning a bit. So, oh, okay. And then I got the bucket. And then that, that bucket got filled. And I go, oh. And it got filled. And, and I had to get another bucket. It came to the point. I think there were, there were three buckets there filled with, filled with those uh, coins, those tokens. I was like, double or nothing, double or nothing. And it, it, on the short of it, <laughs> before I realized I was already there. And I didn't even realize I was, I shifted from saying no, being adamant about it, to I, I can win this thing. And then I won, and then all of a sudden I just felt condemned a little bit. I'm not condemned. I felt convicted, so I stopped. Oh, better stop now. I stopped. So I ended up basically with two. So at, at one point I had three buckets full of those coins, but I ended up with two. I said, stop right here. I mean, you know, I think I've crossed the line. So kind of like, so, so I went to, I don't know what, the, see, I don't even frequent the place. So what do you call it, the place where you cashier? The cashier. So I went to the cashier. Okay. So, and so I got my money. Okay. So I think I got about, I don't know how many did I get. I think about eight or nine hundred dollars there. So, and then I told my uncle, you know, when we got home, when we got to, back to the condominium, and, and I told my uncle who gave me the money. So, see, he told me, see, it's worth it. And then my other uncle, who wasn't pushing me, said, I thought that's not allowed in your religion. And I was like, uh, and I couldn't say anything right there. I mean, in you know, God used my that uncle of mine in his own words. You know, God spoke through him. He convicted me about that. And so I said, I didn't feel good. I felt guilty about that money. So what I did, so I didn't hold on to it. I didn't even spend it. So when we got back to the Philippines, I gave most of it. What's funny, again, as a new believer, didn't know anything. So I just gave everything, most of it to the church. When the, when the offering bag was... I just placed most of it there. So, again, that was a lesson learned. I was a new believer then. I will never, obviously, that's something that I, I, won't, I won't do again. So, see, um, you know, God delivered me from, from gambling. You know, you want to bet? <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, greed can take over the heart of a person without him knowing it. Okay? Without him knowing it. Especially in this culture here in the United States, in North America, in the Western culture, if you're not discerning, you may even have that. You may have embraced the culture of greed here in, in North America. It's such a materialistic society that many times we place things and wealth in the place of God. And we think that that's God's blessing. Okay, so Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And it's interesting. Jesus spoke about money. He talked about money a lot, not because he wanted money, not because he was a prosperity preacher. He, he talked about money a lot because he understood people so enraptured and you were so so captivated by money and the love of money 
that it's to the point that it has become a God to them. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Okay? You can't serve them both. Okay? But a lot of people serve money rather than God. What Jesus is saying is we are to serve God. Okay? So, and the big idea is this, uh, of this series is greed could be conquered through contentment, at least for this, for this sermon. Okay? Greed could be conquered through contentment. Ask the person next to you, are you content with your life? Question now here is, how can we overcome greed and begin walking in godliness with contentment? So as we look into the context, as we dive into our passage right now, um, let's first consider the context of the passage we read, okay, so that we will understand. See, a lot of people just read the Bible, take scriptures without understanding the context who it was written for, who was the audience of the author, who was the audience of the person the author was talking about, and what were the cultural concepts of the time. We just take Scripture without understanding the context and misapply it. That's why we have a lot of misapplication and misinterpretation of Scripture. So I want us to understand the context here. So as you look at 1 Timothy 6, our passage, this was this is part of of Paul's first letter to Timothy, who was whom he discipled for, for, for some time, and then he left in charge as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Okay, and, and Timothy was a young person, a young pastor, a good looking pastor. So he was young and and uh, and then uh, but he was pastoring people twice his age, you know, I mean a wide range of, of, of people. And then during this time, you know, again, people especially in their culture, don't look, they don't value young people when there are older folks there, okay? They see younger people as, you know, you, you don't really matter that much. You have the elders here, okay? That's why Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers to follow in speech, in life, in faith, in purity, Okay, and you know, set an example for them. Set an example for the believers. Don't let them don't let them look down on you because of, of your age. Set an example for every believer, whether they're old or young. So Timothy was a young pastor. And now, during this time, there were false teachers who were coming into the church teaching things that are outside of what Jesus taught and outside of what scripture of the time taught. Remember, during their time, their Bible, their scripture was just the Old Testament, and they didn't call it the Old Testament. We're the ones who call it the Old Testament. During their time, they didn't call it. They just referred to it as the, the law and the prophets, their scripture. Okay, The New Testament was still being written at this time, and First Timothy was actually Paul's letter to Timothy, encouraging him, because there have been false teachers in the church. Okay, And some of these teachers were actually thinking that Godliness is a means for gain, okay? I want us to see there. And these false teachers were wreaking havoc in the church. They're causing people to be confused about... So see here, Timothy was preaching to them, teaching them about, about Christ and His commands and His teachings. And then they're saying other things that confuse people. So, wait a minute. So, Paul was saying to Timothy, deal with them. And here's... An insight into them. And Paul said in, in uh, chapter, verse 5 of 1 Timothy 6, I want to read from the Amplified Bible. This is 
the verse preceding the, the verses we read. And he said, these false teachers who think that godliness is a source of profit, a lucrative money-making business, Paul was saying to Timothy, withdraw from them. Stay away from them. All they talk about is money. Kind of like some, kind of like prosperity preaching, isn't it? Now, please don't get me wrong. I believe that God can prosper you and I. I believe can bless you above and beyond what you can ask or imagine. I believe that. I believe it's His will for us to prosper, but He defines prosperity, not the culture. And here in our culture today, we've redefined here, most churches have redefined, some churches have redefined um, the gospel to fit their American dream mentality and and now it's become the prosperity gospel. It's all about money. Jesus wants you to be a millionaire. He saved you. He died for you so that you will be a millionaire. Okay. And if you sow today, if you sow now, if you sow to my ministry, and you see that's why a lot of these, these preachers are in trouble because their members are struggling and yet they're living the high life. They have Bentleys. They have Rolls Royces. They have, they have jets. They have just for their own use. And they say, this is a testimony of the blessing of God in my life. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy. Stay away from them. You know what I'm saying? See prosperity in the proper context. Okay? See, prosperity is part of the, pre of the teaching of the word. Prosperity is not the entire gospel. Okay? Are you getting that? Because there are people who are Christians and God has called them to a life of suffering, not because God is a masochist. You know, God wants people to suffer, but that is there is a purpose, and there are a certain group of people they, that they only they can reach in that kind of life. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. If you're in Christ, it doesn't matter. Okay? It doesn't matter. So, but here today, we have given ourselves to the American dream, the prosperity mindset. Okay? Prosperity the gospel is not all about your wealth and prosperity financially. Okay? It's so much more than that. Much, much more. Okay? So these false teachers in, in character were greedy and materialistic. Okay? It's, look, they were using godliness as a means for profit, a lucrative money-making business. Show me the money. They have all the bling, you know. <laughs> so Paul was exposing them. And then in verse 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul basically unwraps a commentary on, on the dangers of greed, the pitfalls of loving money. And then he contrasted it with true godliness. And true godliness is that with contentment. Okay? A lot of times Christians... Pursue prosperity. You know how God designed designed it? He didn't design for, for us to pursue prosperity. He designed for us to pursue Him. And prosperity will pursue us. And that's a prosperity He defines, not how we define it. Okay? So here, let's go to our passage now. 1 Timothy 6. Let's go verse by verse here. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, Notice the first, the previous verse, verse 5. These people, these false teachers, 
are using godliness as a source of profit or a source of gain. In the ESV, in the English Standard Version, it's, it says gain. Okay? So, and then, these false teachers want God, in, you know, they're pursuing godliness for gain. And then here, Paul is saying, actually, godliness with contentment is great gain. But he unpacks what that means. So, in reality, you know, godliness is great gain. But the godliness that God wants you to have is godliness with contentment. And when you're content, then you have great gain. You see, there's a story. A man, a rich man, a rich businessman, he owned a yacht. And so he went to the marina. He wanted. He went to his yacht and, and where his boat was, his yacht was docked. There you go. His, his boat was docked. Right across his the pier where his boat was docked was a man sitting by his boat, the small boat, and enjoying, enjoying uh, the scenery. And then the businessman goes, what are you doing? I, you know, I'm relaxing. Why are you relaxing? It's still the middle of the day. Well, I've had more than enough catch for the day, so I'm resting. But you know what? You're wasting your, your, your time. You see, you're missing out on your opportunity. You can go out there and catch some more. If you catch more fish, you have more money. And if you have more money, then you can expand your business. You can have more boats and go out there and catch more fish. Ergo, that's going to be a lot more money. Then you can have a fleet. Then you can have your own business. And you can be so rich that you can, you can you're so rich that you can stand and you can sit here and, and enjoy the sunset. And the man was in the small boat said, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm enjoying life already. You see... The, the, the quote-unquote poor guy got it right. He was enjoying life. And he had no trouble. He's content. He was content. Could he use some more? I think so. But his heart is not placed in that. Many of us, our hearts are placed on, on the pursuit of wealth. On the pursuit of happiness. And we've taken that. That is in the Declaration of Independence. God, God has endowed us with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But people today have taken that to the extreme and said, this is my life. This is what it's all about. It's my happiness. I don't care if, you know, if, if it doesn't please you, as long as make, it makes me happy, even if it's wrong, you have nothing to do with it. I can do whatever I want to do with my life, as long as I'm happy, even if it's wrong. People have taken that to the extreme today, and no wonder people are so empty. They find what they're looking for, and then they realize that is not what will satisfy me. 1 Timothy 4, 8, Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Actually, godliness with contentment has value in this life and also in eternity. Paul said that in um, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, For while bodily training is of some value, how many of you go to the gym? People go to the gym to look at themselves, you know, most of the time. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul was saying here, yes, physical training is of some value, but godliness, train yourself in godliness because it has value in every way in your life here and in eternity. It is the better investment. Come on now. Yes, train physically, but physical training, that is not the entire goal of your life. That is part of your stewardship so that you live healthy, so that you can fulfill the purpose of God and be healthy. 
as we pursue God and pursue godliness. Okay? And so here, godliness with contentment is great gain. The kind of godliness the Bible teaches is that with contentment. The word contentment that was used here in the Greek is autarkeia. It means enough or sufficiency. In other words, having all that you need. Okay? And the sense of this word, autarkeia, is this. Adequacy, especially that results in satisfaction with one situation in life. In other words, you don't let things define your life. God defines your life. He is your sufficiency. It's not your million in the bank. It's not your possessions. It's not, you know. And autarkeia is also used in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And see, see, the same word was used here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, so that having all autarkeia, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, you have everything you need. If you really look at it, every, you have everything you need. But the culture tells you, no, you need more. You need this. You need that. You go to the supermarket or you go to the grocery or to the mall sometimes and people, you just there, you just want to stroll around and then there are those people in the kiosk and they pull you in and they do their marketing stuff. And after a while you realize, I really, really need this thing. Actually, you don't. How many of you have been victimized by that? How many of you work in those kiosks? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I need this thing. And then you purchase it. You get into a, you know, a two-year to your locker plan, and you get home, what did I just get myself into? I don't need this. And then your, your wife goes, what did you do this time? You just wasted our money there. You don't, we don't need that. You know what I'm talking about? You see, we have all that we need. question is, why do we need to be content? Now, in verse 7 of 1 Timothy 6, moving on to verses 7 and 8, gives us two reasons why we need to be content. Okay, verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world. How many of you, when you were born, you had your Rolex watch with you? You were born, you had, you had your bright, bright bling there. When you came out of your mother's womb, you brought in your, your Maserati. Did you bring it with you? From your mother's womb? <laughs> Did you come out with fancy clothes? No, you didn't. You came here naked. Come on. For we brought nothing into the world. And see, the first reason why we need to be content is an eschatological one. Meaning it pertains to future things. And here he says, and we cannot take anything out of the world. When you die, can you bring things with you? You can't. You can't bring stuff with you. You were born naked. You're going to die naked with nothing. Well, you're going to be clothed. <laughs> But you're not going to bring that with you wherever you're going. In some, some worldviews, like in the Eastern worldview in Asia, you can bring stuff with you. Have you been to their, to their funeral, say, in their, in their wake? In the wake, uh, in the funeral, you see, you know, uh, the body laying, uh, you know, remain in, in state. And then you have a lot of other stuff. You have cars, money, paper money, paper cars. Because they believe that you're going to bring them to your next life. We don't. Paul was actually here. He was alluding to several passages in the Old Testament that 
speak of us coming into the world naked. Job said that. Naked I came into the world. Naked shall I depart. The Lord gives. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So here, this is the reason here. The thought here is this. Coming into the world and leaving it with, it with nothing. And what about in between? You see, that's where God will supply what you need. Through your parents. When you were born, so God provided parents for you to provide you with, with food, shelter, clothing. See, God provided. You can't even do When you're an infant, can you do that? Can you provide for yourself? You can't. You see, God provides for you. And when you grow up, see, God's, everything that you have in life, God provides for that. Those are His provisions. Those are His tools. But if you make those things the ultimate things in your life, then you're missing the point of your existence. Okay? So basically, God will supply everything we need. So the perspective here in this verse is eternal. So the, when you come in here, what really matters is eternity. It's not really. A lot of people are so focused on gathering things in this world, they miss out on what is really needed to be done in this earth, and that is to get to know Jesus. And once you know Jesus, then your eternity is secure. Because in Christ, all the riches heaven are, are yours when you're in Him. Amen? He's the source of life. He's the source of everything. He can provide everything you need. So, the perspective here is turning. From this perspective, from an eternal perspective, it is foolish to be consumed only with material gain, with financial gain. Who do you think was, was the happier person? Was the a person who was enjoying peace in his life? The guy who finished early and enjoying the scenery on his small boat? Or the businessman who already has more than enough and yet he's slaving to get a lot more? Question, do you really need more? Come on out. Do you really, really need more? Here we go. See? Eyes are op being opened now. People are getting... You see, what I was, you see the point I, I said a while ago? Greed... It's deceptive sometimes. Many times you don't realize you have it. I gotta have more. I gotta have more. I gotta have more. The second reason is found in verse 8. And it says here, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, is, is Paul saying, Have food and clothing? Then you're good. Now here, when, you, when he said food and clothing, it's basically that's a reference to basic necessities of life. And the word clothing is not does not refer just to clothes, but it refers to protection and covering. Covering not just with clothes, but covering, you know, includes shelter. So basically, if you have food, clothing, and shelter, and it's, you know, that's, those are the basic necessities of life. If you have the basic necessities of life, and which God provides... Then we, and he calls, he says here, with these, we will be content. You see, it's future tense. He didn't say, you know, it's like saying, see, if you have all these things, then be content with that. See, the Christian, here is the call to the Christian with regard to these things. The call to the Christian is to be content when your basic necessities are met by God. The problem is, when we look to our neighbor, we see they have a lot more than we do. They enjoy a lot more nice things than we do. 
Oh, they have a new red Lamborghini. We just saw a Lamborghini a while ago on our way here. Red Lamborghini. In addition to their Bentley and Maserati, I only have a BMW. Something in you is creeping up. Yeah, you need that. That is demonic. We laugh about it, but that is demonic. When you begin to envy, see? You're beginning to covet, and now you are disobeying one of, one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. I want that. And then, because of that, you know, why do they get to enjoy those things and not, not me? I can enjoy those things. And you work hard. And then you tell your, your relatives, see, I'm made. I live in a seven-bedroom house in a gated community. I have a five-car garage. I have all, you see, you may brag about those things, but guess what? There will be people who will have more than you. Some of them in their garage is parked an airplane. Come on now. John Travolta's home, he has, an air, he has several airplanes there. So what does that make you look like? You know, <laughs> envy. See? And here's the thing. Paul here reflects the teaching of Jesus and not to worry about what you need. Remember Matthew 6? Don't worry about these things. God will provide for you. You see, if you worry about these things, you will pursue them. And you're missing the point if you do. And here's what Jesus said. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things that you need will be added unto you. See? That's how God designed it. But we slave in trying to pursue things that are meant to pursue you. Missing the point. So here, and then Paul said, we will be content. Do you really need more? I have 45 shoes there. And then the latest one came out. I need that. I talk to my kids. Sometimes they, want, they see something in, in the store. Dad, get, get, get that. Okay. Is that a need or a want? And they go, both. <laughs> it's more a want. And they say, it's a need. I really need it. Do you really need it? No, I want it. Okay. So if it's a need and it's legitimate, then I'll provide it. But if it's a want, then pray about it, okay? And see if God will give it to you. You know, don't be enslaved by wants. Because if you are allow yourself to be enslaved by wants, you will want more. And it's, an, it's insatiable. You can never quench that. Do you really need more cars? I have $10 million already. I need to make $1 billion so that I can say I'm made. Really? So if you say, I'm made, if I, if I make, I, I have $1 billion in the bank, then I'm somebody else. You know, you can't, I'm, I'm not just someone to, I'm not a pushover, okay? What you just did is you devalued your life to a dollar amount. You have devalued your life. You have demoted yourself. You're far more worth than that. Your life can never, you can never affix a dollar amount to your life. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, how many of you desire to be rich? Some of you are not like, some of you are still, <laughs> yeah, of course, I mean, you know, but here's the thing, rich, wealth and riches, there's nothing wrong with it. The only time Wealth and riches are wrong and when you 
when it takes God's place in your life. And when your heart is pursuing these, that's what's wrong. You see, if you pursue God and you do His will, it's not a, you know, He can easily bless you. But even if He doesn't bless you, you're still going to pursue God, you're content, you're good, you have the best life. Right? Paul speaks of anyone who wishes more and more wealth. And see, the sense of this passage here, if, again, going back to, you know, if you look at the, the Greek words and their, and their full context here, you will see that it's not just people who randomly desire to be wealthy. It's those people who, who have that craving to have more than what they need. And they got to get more, okay? That's why you don't see them on, on, in your small groups. You don't see them, on, see them in church. I'm on a business trip. You're, every Sunday you're on a business trip. Okay, we have a Saturday service. Okay, uh, I'm out of town on a business trip. Okay, and then the church grows and we have a midweek service. Surely you're going to attend there. Uh, you know, I have meetings out of town. I, I have a business trip. And then you enjoy golf. I've earned this. Your heart is placed in the wrong thing. That is dangerous. There's nothing wrong with wealth or material possessions per se. The problem arises when we make these consequential blessings in life the ultimate things in life. These are not the goal, but the problem or problems arise when you make them the pursuit of your life. The things, the ultimate things speak about the things that give us worth, give us value, that give us security and significance. Timothy Keller spoke about this in his book, uh, in his introduction to his book, Counterfeit Gods. And let me read it to you. In the 1830s, when I asked Josh to pronounce this right, French guy, in the 1830s when Alexis de Tocqueville recorded his famous observations on America, he noted a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants. In the midst of abundance, a strange melancholy in the midst of abundance, Americans believed that prosperity could quench their yearning for happiness. But such a hope was illusory because de Tocqueville, de Tocqueville added, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. This strange melancholy manifests itself in many ways, but always leads to the same despair of not finding what is sought. What is the cause of this strange melancholy that permeates our society even during the boom times of frenetic activity, and which turns to outright despair when prosperity diminishes. De Tocqueville says it comes from taking some incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life on it. That is the definition of idolatry. What is an idol then? An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that can give you security, peace, significance, worth, aside from God. You see, only God can give you these things. But if you look for, for these things and other things, then you're looking to an idol. And we're not talking about images and you bow down to them. Career is an idol. Okay? All these things. Money. Family is an idol. Okay? Let me continue. God was saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, 
and turns them into the into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. See, that's a problem. Those who continually desire to be rich look to things and make them the ultimate things in life because they're looking for definition. See, only God can define you. And so those who desire to be rich actually fall into temptation, into a snare, a trap, into many senseless or foolish or mindless and harmful or injurious desires. Desires that are unhealthy, unnatural. Desires that are, that are not productive. Desires that can lead you and it says there, see, it can lead, it lead you to ruin and destruction. And ruin and destruction here speaks of material and spiritual disaster that comes upon these people who seek riches and wealth as the ultimate things. Ruin and destruction here speak of worthlessness. What is worthlessness? The loss of all that gives worth to existence. That's why people commit suicide when they're jilted, when they're dumped by their lover. They commit suicide. They end their life. Why? Because they define their lives on that relationship and when that, they made that an ultimate thing. And when that ultimate thing ended, they no longer have any sense of purpose. They no longer have any worth. That's why they end their lives. Same goes for people who put dollar signs on their lives. When they lose the dollar signs, when they lose the dollars, they end their lives. You see? It brings harm, injury. If you desire these things and you make these your counterfeit God, it will only lead to your destruction. And it even speaks of, the word destruction speaks of, not just here on, the, on this earth, but it speaks of total annihilation, total, you know, it, it leads you to perdition, basically. Verse 10, and here is the reason the motivation for the inordinate desire for riches. What is the reason behind that? It's the love of money. How many of you heard this? Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Have you heard that? That is a misquote. Because money in itself, money is neutral. Okay? It's the heart that amplifies. See, money is an amplifier. It's a magnifier. It magnifies what's in your heart. If your heart, if your heart is good, then it will magnify the goodness in your heart. If your heart is sinful, selfish, and, and proud, it's going to magnify those things. So it can be used for good or evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Okay, the love of money, the love of money is this, philargiria, which is avarice. And avarice is this, extreme greed for, for wealth or material gain. Paul said in, in Colossians 3, I, greed is idolatry. Jesus, in Luke 12, 15 said, He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or co all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You can be so rich and have all things and be empty. You see, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Avarice, can cause one to do evil things. 
That's why people kill their own families to get the insurance, to get love. That's why they, they demolish their family relationships so that they can get all the inheritance and not share it with their siblings. And the result of that is this. This craving has caused people to wander away from their faith. Leave the faith. Leave God. You want to know some biblical examples of those who wander away from the faith? Because of greed? Judas Iscariot. You know what happened to him, right? Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to God. They, they said, we're giving all, but they kept some for them. Insurance, you see, that didn't do well for them. They were judged right on the spot. Jesus said, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He also said, as for what was sown among thorns in the parable of the sower, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth or riches choke the word. See, if you are so worried about the things that you need in this world and you're pursuing wealth, no matter how much you read, the word that you put in, in your heart, with those cares and your desire for riches will choke whatever the word. That's why a lot of greedy people don't read this. They choke the word. Another result of this craving is that they have pierced themselves with many pangs. In the NIV, it says many griefs. How many of you have gone through grief? It's not pleasant, right? In the New Revised Standard Version, it says many pains. By this, you will pierce yourself with many pains. You leaving the faith, and by doing so, you will be grieved, you will experience tremendous pain, and you will have many sorrows. And Psalm 16 says this, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. You know, how many of you want to live your life filled with sorrow and pain and misery and grief? Come on now. All because of avarice. And God wants you to be delivered from that. So as we apply this, bring this to a conclusion, how can we overcome greed and begin walking in godliness? Actually, it's found in the passage. And I don't have to expound on it because it's, it's self-explanatory. Okay? In 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 to 12, it says there, so how Paul was saying to Timothy, now see those, those teachers? Don't be like that. Be content. And here, how do you live in this godliness with contentment? Here's what you do, Timothy. First, flee. What does it say there? Flee these things. The things that he just mentioned. Flee avarice. Flee the desires. These evil desires. Flee from the desire to get rich. Flee from the love of money. Flee from those things. Ask yourself today, do I love money? Do I pursue things rather than God? App direct, simple application, flee from those things. Secondly, pursue. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue these things. Don't pursue wealth. Don't pursue fame. Don't pursue fortune. Don't pursue money. Don't pursue all these things. Pursue God and things of His kingdom. Jesus promised. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
Don't worry about it. You will have everything that you need. And be content. Number three, fight the good fight of the faith. This is going to be a fight. The devil will try to lure you back. But don't lose the faith. Stand firm. Trust in Jesus who will provide you all things. Trust in Him no matter what your circumstances are. Your trust is in Him, not in the circumstance. Because if your trust is in the circumstance, you will try to take control. But if your trust is in Jesus, no matter what, how bad the circumstance is, He is in control, He is in charge, and He loves me, and He covers me, I'm okay. He works all things for the good of those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. And as I fight the good fight of faith, continue to believe in, in Christ, I take hold. This is the pursuit right now. Eternal things. I put my focus and my direction and my attention to the things of God, to the things of His kingdom, and to things that are eternal, not to the fleeting and temporal. The love of money produces greed. The pursuit of God produces contentment. Only Christ, only in Christ can we have true fulfillment and true contentment. True godliness with contentment is found only in Christ as you pursue Him and get to know Him. I'd like to end with this. Faith in Christ alone produces contentment in our hearts and delivers us from the idol of greed. Can we all stand right now? You see, battling greed, greed is a spiritual thing. And we cannot produce contentment. Only God produces that. So we pursue God, and He's the one who gives us these things. And you know what? The Bible says in 2 Peter, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. We may not be the richest people on earth, but you have everything you need if you are in Christ. He is your supply, and He never runs out. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And here's another promise. Paul said, I know. I have I've learned what, in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In every circumstance, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Facing plenty and pl facing hunger. And here's... I want to show that to you. How many of you quote this passage here? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This is in the context of being content in Christ. Not, I can do all these things if I have these things. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the one who supplies what I need at the time. And whatever He calls me to do. I may not have that now, but He will supply it when I need it. That brings contentment. That brings peace. And such a peaceful life. You're not bound by your worries or your circumstances. You're confident in Christ who loves you and who will richly provide for you whatever you need. And if you trust Him, He will pour more. He can entrust more to you because he knows that you're not pursuing those things. You're pursuing him. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would deliver us from avarice, deliver us from greed, from the love of money. Lord, we said that it's, the love of money is deceptive and many of us 
may have realized that today we still have that. Lord, deliver us. Lord, we repent of putting our trust in money, in wealth, making money and material things the ultimate things in life. Lord, we repent of those things and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would cleanse our hearts from those things. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace to flee from those things and to pursue you. And help us to stand firm in the fight to believe you and help us to take hold of things that are truly eternal. And Lord, it's not about, we are not defined by our net worth in dollars. We are defined by our Lord who has everything we need for life in Godliness and who richly supplies for you. So Lord, today I declare, I will not look to my circumstance. Maybe some of you today, you're worried because of your circumstance right now. Jesus is challenging you. Look to me. Look to me. Look to Jesus. I am greater than your circumstance. Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And as you look to Him, He will work all things for the good of those who love Him. Lord, we pray that if we have adverse circumstances today that cause us to worry and be tempted to go for the love of money, Lord, help us to see Your greatness. That we may look to You you're greater than our circumstance and we put our faith in you you are in charge you're in control and today i say i am secure i am significant in christ i am content i have i declare today by faith i have everything i need in life and in godliness because christ lives in me i can do all things through him who gives me strength thank you jesus we give you praise Help us to honor you with our life as we pursue you. In Jesus' name.